if you want to be a more conscious consumer, it's just reading things and, and seeing if they really check out. Like, did a dermatologist recommend this? Did a, a like a doctor recommend this or talk about this? And can I feel what, what I'm reading? Can I feel an emotion behind it? I just got goosebumps. A true care for this thing that made somebody's life infinitely better. Those are what you want to look for. Welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast, your destination for all things personal and professional growth. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am an intentional brand builder on a mission to inspire people to build not only their dream businesses that actually feel good for them to be in, but more importantly, to create well-rounded lives that are in alignment with their values. I believe that we can only grow outward in proportion to how aligned we are internally, and that slowly but surely, we are all capable of creating lives that feel incredibly fulfilling to be fully present in. Hello, welcome back to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I hope that you are doing fabulous. This week's episode is one I have been so excited to share, and it actually came about in a really organic way. So the guest of this week's show is Sarah Mattis, a former journalist who's written for publications we all know and love, like Self, Architectural Digest, Well and Good, Sports Illustrated, Town and Country, and honestly, so many others. A little over a month ago, Sarah posted a story on her Instagram during Amazon Prime Month that really stopped me in my tracks. And it said this, I write about Prime Day to pay rent and tuition. I will not share the stories I'm writing, but if you stumble upon them, please do not buy anything from it. Some of my fellow shopping writers might hate that I'm posting this and that's fine. The fact of the matter is I'm at odds with my values every time a sales event like this comes around. And that's something I need to reconcile with. You though have choice to ignore all the content being churned out by publications. And I sincerely hope that you do. So, I mean, when I saw that, it legitimately stopped me in my tracks because I have really been struggling with this in my mind coming from the brand side. So for those of you who don't know this, I own a brand building agency called Nude Nation and we represent both brands and thought leaders and we help them identify their secret sauce and just amplify their message and and their products in all relevant media ways. And through the years, as with everything, the PR landscape has completely evolved and changed. And to be clear, I'm still here for the evolution and all of these different channels that we have that makes it easier to get our products out there. But something I've been wrestling with for a very long time is the rise of affiliate PR and how it affects the integrity in journalism. So for those of you who are not familiar with what affiliate PR is, when a publication like Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, or Refinery29, for example, feature a product and receive a commission from any clicks that were included in the article. And I totally understand, like I genuinely really do, that media is also a business and that the industry is struggling at large with all of these massive shifts. The whole point of media existing in the first place is to communicate truth and to remain objective to the best of the publication's ability. And I'm honestly having a very hard time with accepting that publications are now prioritizing covering brands and products based on how much a product will be performing, aka how much they're making them versus what they actually want to recommend to the public based on merit. And I'm not doing this episode because I believe that I have the answers because I really, really don't. I am doing this episode because it's something that has been extremely top of mind for me. And I want to have an open discussion on all fronts as it pertains to this topic. This episode is from the perspective of a brand builder, publicist, and a journalist on how we can all do better. In addition to all of this, I also needed to have Sarah on because she decided to completely pivot out of the industry as a whole and pursue her real dream of becoming a librarian. And she is still very much in the process of transitioning out. And I thought that it was just so cool and refreshing to have someone on the show who is in the midst of the pivot. I feel like a lot of times people come on podcasts after the fact and just having her do her process live and explaining exactly like how long she was frustrated for and when she's decided to actually start making baby steps and when the pivot really started to happen for her. That to me equals the active ingredient message. So I had to have her on for that reason as well. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. And Sarah, thank you truly for speaking up and for listening to your own inner voice, that real voice. We really need more people that are prioritizing that voice, listening to it and acting on it. So with that, Sarah, welcome to the show. 
Sarah, welcome to the show. I feel like this all happened so organically and I'm so happy that we were able to happen before I left. So thank, thank you, you so much for here. having me. So, okay. I want to get a backstory on just what you wanted to do when you grew up. How did you land into journalism and what was it about it that called you? Yeah. I wanted to do a lot of things when I was younger. For a long time, I wanted to be a teacher. And then I decided that I didn't really like children. <laughs> and so when I was in middle school, I was very interested in magazines. I would, whenever my mom would go to the grocery store, I would hang out in the magazine aisles when they used to have those and just like page through. And my mom would let me pick one and take it home. It was usually like J14 or something <laughs> like that. But once I got older, I was like asking for subscriptions for Christmas. And I subscribed to L at a really young age and basically started memorizing the masthead and like learning about the writers and, and just like getting really into the weeds with all of the stories. And of course I had that like one wall in my bedroom that was just like all posters and cutouts, kind of like a giant mood board. And I was just fascinated by magazines and, and like, what about it? A lot of it was just how beautiful they were and how in a page or two, people were able to grab your attention and tell a story in a concise way with plenty of detail, like plenty of like narration. And I really loved that. And so like some of the writers, like I followed throughout their careers, which is really cool because then, you know, when I got into my own career, I was like in the same office with them and I was like, wow. So crazy. But yeah, so... I was really good at writing. My teachers were really kind of pushing that for me as well. And, and I really enjoyed that encouragement. Once I went to high school, it was like, I really solidified like, okay, I want to be a writer. I want to be, I want to go into journalism. I know that it's possible. I don't exactly know what it entails, but I can do it. And so I went to school in Philly. I went to Temple for journalism. I didn't declare a concentration. At that point you could in magazines. And I was like, I have a sneaking suspicion that magazines are like not something that I'll be in forever. Like what year was this? I was a freshman in 2015. Okay. And so like, I also didn't want to concentrate because I just wanted a, a really like whole, a holistic view of journalism. Yeah. So college was amazing. I had a wonderful time. I like did all the things, which is incredible. Like just thinking about all the stuff that I did in college. I'm like, these days, like I wake up and I have breakfast and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> took it out of me, man. It's so true. And I like, I was in all these clubs. I was in student government. I started a magazine and it was like a whole thing. And I had all these internships and, and through the internships, I started at like Philadelphia magazine and I started in their wellness section. And so I got mm. really into wellness and especially like the wellness culture in Philadelphia, which is certainly not as developed as it is in New York here. Um, but I knew that I always wanted to come and end up in New York. So fast forward, I graduated college in 2019, decided I wanted to move to New York. Finding a full-time job was hard. Surprise. <laughs> and so I took a postgraduate fellowship at Hearst at Town & Country Magazine, hmm. uh, which was like very unfamiliar to me. I and did not come up from a uh, bourgeois family. So it was like fascinating, just like seeing what they covered. And I ended up doing a lot of their like product-based like style mm. roundups and things like that. For so, online? For online, for digital, yeah. And so I was starting to understand more of what shopping writing and commerce writing look like. And then I ended up applying for a job at Self Magazine. So I became the editorial assistant under Carolyn Kilstra, who was editor-in-chief at the time in 2019. And we were in the office for like two weeks and she went out on maternity leave. And then the day she was supposed to come back from maternity leave was when we all left the office because of COVID. Damn. So it was just like a whole thing. But I did a lot of that job working from, from home. And then I did all the things when I was an editorial assistant. I really enjoyed it. Um, because I could do all the things. And whenever I was doing something, like whenever I was writing a lot, I was like, I don't know if I like this. Really? And I just had this like sneaky voice in my head that I didn't recognize until recently was there. And I was like, why do I feel like I'm burning out? Like all of this stuff. And then I became a full-time commerce writer for self. And 
because honestly, like that is the, those are the positions that pay these days. And I was really struggling financially. I have had, and still kind of have like multiple jobs at a point, it was like three or four jobs and I was barely making rent. And so, you know, being a commerce writer, it involves like a slightly higher salary and getting a lot of free shit, which one of the first things I learned in college is like, don't take gifts. And then here you are, here I was like living off of 24, like literally making do like getting by with gifts that publicists would send me because as a shopping writer, like we're writing about products all the time, publicists and brands are trying to put their product like in your face so that you try it and you love it and you write about it. Right. And for a while, like I did that and it was fine. And I was overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that I had, but it was nice kind of not having to think about, oh, I have to go buy toothpaste. Oh, I need, I really need like new pair of sheets, Honestly, mattress. mattress, breakfast, my desk, all of my tech. Like yeah. it's just, I feel like it's like the unspoken rule or like things that people just don't say overtly about the industry that it's like, you're going to have a really shitty salary, but like all these other things are going to be taken care of. Perks. But it's like the, per- this is what I think about all the time. And especially when you're like thinking of transitioning out of a career or out of a position or a current, like just place that you're working at. I think of like, like I, I would always fear, like I remember specifically in the job that I had before this, I was like, I don't want to leave because I get these like free mm-hmm. trips. Yep. But then like the more that I just like owned just like my, my autonomy, I guess I was like, I want to get to a place where I can choose where I want to go on the trip or right. like you can choose the toothpaste that you can buy and that you right. can just buy and choose whatever the hell you want yourself, you right. know, versus like it be in the hands of someone else. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just kind of like a perspective shift, but I actually want to go back to the writing of it all, because I feel like that was like the actual true thing that was calling you into the space in the first place. Mm-hmm. And when you said that you started to have the feelings of burnout or like the voice was like starting to like come up mm-hmm. for you, what type of writing were you doing? And what how was it different from what you thought it was going to be? I, once I started actually writing consistently for self and honestly, regardless of what brand it was, it wouldn't have mattered, but I was doing a lot of commerce writing then and also news writing, which I realized very quickly was not my thing. They were like, the deadline is three hours. And I was like, sorry, (laughs) no can do. Um, (laughs) Not good at deadlines, which was like, should have been like the first flag when I went to journalism school. (laughs) Like, but it's (laughs) a learning. It's all learning. Yeah. But I was doing like a lot of product writing and it becomes so formulaic. And I had these like aspirations of being like a, having the voice of like a strategist writer or a wire cutter writer. But when it came down to how much was being asked of me and and of my team and, you know, the quotas and the time that I had and just like, honestly, the brain capacity I had managing several jobs and all this other stuff, I was like, it's just going to be the formula. And so I just, and it, it just like brought me down because I, I was like, I used to be such a good writer. Like I would look at my essays from high school and be like, who was she? (laughs) She had zest for life. Yeah. (laughs) And, and sometimes if I really, truly love a product, I can write about it very well. Uh, and I still, I still feel that way, especially if it's like a longer review, Yeah, you know, something that I test for six months or, every day for three months, I can write about it well, because I'm actively like, I really like this. I want to tell other people about it and it's more organic, but you know, I was writing stuff, roundups about products I had never tried, had never heard of. And I was like, I don't even know what to say about this. That's not already in the marketing copy. And I don't want it to sound like an ad, but because I've never tried it, because I've honestly never heard of it, because I don't know who it's good for, I just kind of have to guess and it's going to end up sounding like an ad. And so when I was doing that and then as the editorial assistant and then full time, it just, yeah, it really started to drain me. And I started to feel like every morning I was like waking up and going against my values. And I was raised, you know, in a family with the very strong core values. And then, you know, as a journalist, you have to have very strong values because it's really easy for things to get polluted. And, you know, the number one rule of journalism is to tell the truth. And I just found myself not doing that. 
And I was like, this is scary. Yeah. And like, it's like, you're speaking out about it, but like, I know so many journalists that are feeling the same way and they just don't have a way out. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we're going to get there, but like, it's like the system and the overconsumption and just like what you said, the quota, like the level at which you have to produce content. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, are we even buying at that rate? Like, why is it so much and why is like, it's just like a volume Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. that like no human, and maybe this is where AI is going to come into place, but then it's just, everything is like sterile and doesn't have like that personality. Yeah. Like the heartbeat anymore. So I want to get like really specific with the voice and like you being in a place that you already spoke to financially needing the job and needing to like make ends meet because I think so many of us have been in that place. How did you reconcile like knowing that voice? Like, was there an arrow where you were kind of just ignoring it or like trying to convince yourself or like walk me through what that process was like, because you're now at a place where you're making moves to actually get out of the situation. Yeah. So I... I was honestly just like waking up and ignoring it. Like I'm someone who has never been a really huge risk taker, or at least that's how I see myself. Um, I'm sure other people would say otherwise, but for me, it's like, I really value that security. I really value like comfort. And so- All humans. Yeah. It's actually what we value over happiness. Right. Familiarity and comfort. Yeah. And so when you have a job that like, I mean, no journalist has ever truly felt secure, But when you have a job that gives you a salary, a paycheck every two weeks, and it's like, fine, it's decent. I'm like, well, I know so many people who are just laid off. I know so many people who are in situations far worse than mine. Who am I to complain? Kind of like just keeping myself there. But then my work started to suffer and I I could feel myself like not helping out my team as much as I wanted to because like we were all working so hard. And I know that like, everyone still is working so hard. And it's like, it's not, it it felt like I was letting people down. I was like, this isn't fair because I am like waking up, like couldn't for a while, like towards the end, I was like, I can't even get out of bed. And like, I've always been a morning person. And then it was like, I was just like crying every day. And I was like, this is getting really bad. Yeah. (laughs) Especially like once I realized that like, it wasn't just burnout. It was that I'm, I'm done. Yeah. And once I realized that, and then once I actually did real serious thinking and and being like, okay, but what do I want to do? Once I realized that answer, it was like, oh my God, I can't stay in this situation any longer. I need to get out. I need to get out. I need to get out. And, you know, sometimes you can't right in that moment. And and for me, that was the case. It was like a long process of getting out, but God, it was painful towards the end. In the moments where like, once you realize, first of all, I want to get to the to the place of how you realize. Cause yeah. I think that when you're in like a dark place and like, you're just so brain fog and just trying to survive, like it's really, really hard to have that moment of clarity to be like, no, this is it. Mm-hmm. And also it's like, it's hard to decipher, at least for me sometimes it's like, is this just like grass is greener or is this like the real thing, yeah. you know? So I'm curious, like for you and for anyone listening that might be in that space right now that they're like desperate to know, like, what is that thing? How did that process Like, how did you get to that place of clarity of knowing that that's what you wanted? I mean, it was pretty slow. Like, I don't know that there was like a specific moment where it was like, oh, I need to quit my job and become a librarian because that's what I'm going to do. But (laughs) which is the coolest thing ever. I cannot (laughs) wait to get there. Uh, But it was more like a, a slow thing, like thinking about, okay, well, fuck, now what? What can I do that I have the passion for, the skill set? Above all, I had been telling myself and telling my friends and telling my family and kind of like joking, like, I just want a slow life. I just want quiet. I want peace and I want like to help people. And I think when I became a journalist, that that desire to help people was really what kept me there because I was like, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm providing service. And then when I started doing more of the shopping writing that just kind of felt like I was churning out ads, I was like, I am no longer doing good in this world. In fact, I am creating harm and I am making this world like actively worse. And I couldn't like, I honestly couldn't handle that. And that's just me. I'm not going to say like, that's just my conscience. You know, other people might not feel that way, but for me, it was just really grating. And so being like a, doing something within public service was like a huge thing for me. Um, And books have always been so important to me. They're like very comforting. 
libraries were hugely important to me, especially as a child, like getting to spend time in my community library with my mom and getting to spend time in my school library. Like my school librarians were so cool. And I spent a lot of time there, especially, you know, in the the years where it's like, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. I would just go to the library and like pull out books and the librarians would sneak me harder books and they'd be like, you can do this. And just kind of that encouragement was like huge for me. And I'm like, I can do that. Like I can, like you can be a librarian, like you can do these, these jobs that feel like imaginary Mm -hmm. in your head that feel like too good to be true. Kind of like so wholesome. I started doing like research about like what it takes Mm -hmm. to, to do that. And yeah, actually tell us what it takes because I had no idea you bored me. I was just like laying in bed and I was like literally Googling how to become a librarian because I was like, can I just do it? And they were like, of course you need a master's degree. I'm like, that is so (laughs) fascinating. Why? Because it's like, when you go and get your master's degree, it's a master's in information, which feels like extremely baller to say. Um, (laughs) So it's like a really giving you a whole holistic view of like, information and reference and sure books, but it's also so much more. It's like also psychology. It's also learning about sociology and like how people work and learning about urban studies, especially if you want to be in a city, you know, libraries are so much more these days about providing information than they are about lending books just because of our way our the world has gone. Like, sure, people still go check out books, but it's also like people come to the library to get free Wi-Fi, to work for free. Like everything in a, in a library is free. You only need a library card to rent out books. You don't need a library card to go and sit and have access to all the resources. And so it's really like, you also just like have to know so much. Like if you go up to a librarian, they, and ask them a question, largely they will not look at their computer unless you are asking them to like, see if they have a book in stock mm. or filed or whatever. I'm not in school yet. So I don't know the the right terminology. Oh my God. You're going to have to come back on the show and tell I know. us like what this <laughs> curriculum looks like. Like how yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I start in a couple of weeks and like my first class is called like reference and instruction. And so it's, it's focused on public libraries and children's librarians, which is something that I'm interested in, which is funny because I used to not like kids. And now I'm like, you I don't think I could be back. a teacher, <laughs> but it's, it's nice to like, kind of have a couple moments with children throughout your day and not like the whole day, like teachers <laughs> have to just like stick with those suckers all day long. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's, it's just so much more than books and it requires so much learning. And yeah. also with like technology, I have to take IT classes too. Like that's one of my classes this semester. My parents are thrilled because <laughs> they have like a Dell computer from 2004 and they're like, why does it have a virus? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to go find out. <laughs> yeah. So that's so cool. I mean, I, I also, I just want to double down on this part because I think that, and I fall under this camp too, of just like wanting to know the answer so badly and so quickly. And especially when you've had that clarity where you're like, I want out and like, I'm clear I'm done. Like I want out and you just want to rip the bandaid and maybe financially you cannot. Like mm-hmm. how long did it take you to like get to that point of like, actually deciding I'm going to enroll in school and I'm going to become a librarian from the moment that you were like, I'm done. It was very strategic. I am a Virgo. (laughs) But I I decided on a few schools that I would apply to, I wasn't really willing to move. And I knew that I wanted to be in person because I did college all four years in person. I was very lucky, 2019 graduate before the pandemic. So I knew that I wanted to be in person. I feel like learning in person and and learning with small groups of people is huge, especially in a city like New York Mm -hmm. when it's really easy to get lonely. And I've felt that, especially doing a lot of working from home, it's like I need to be in contact with more people. And so I applied to a few schools in the city. And yeah, from there, it was just kind of waiting. I didn't... I didn't hear from any school until March. And so I knew that like, I at least needed to stay in this job until, you know, I got my answers back from the schools. And even from there, it's like, once I got my acceptances, choosing a school takes time. And then from there, figuring out the plan. 
okay, like I committed to, I committed to Pratt, which is in Brooklyn. It's also in Manhattan. And I think that was like the end of March that I committed. And I was like, okay, classes start at the end of August. What do I need to do? And like, what feels reasonable for me? Like, and I decided, I was like, okay, I put out the whole timeline. I was like, okay, I can leave my job at the end of April, give myself four months to figure out what freelancing looks like, what I want to do to make money in that time. And so it was like really, it was really hard to like stay and do the work and get the work done and help out my team when I knew that I, when I knew there was like an expiration date. Mm -hmm. And once I told my manager, it was like even harder because I was like, oh my God, I only have like, I think I gave him like a month's notice because I'm an excellent employee. (laughs) And, and I also was like, I don't want to screw you guys over. I want to make sure that like we can spread out these assignments over the month. I don't want you to feel like super stressed in these two weeks. So I gave myself a month and it was like really excellent, like left self feeling pretty empowered, pretty good. And knew that I had plenty of contacts in the industry, whether past editors or publicists and stuff that I was like, okay, I I can do this freelance thing. So I decided to go freelance that once I quit and it's really hard. I knew it was going to be hard, but it's really hard, especially because I didn't totally feel like an established journalist yet. Mm. And so, you know, it's hard to get those big stories and it's really easy to stay reporting on the same things that you have been because that's how your editors know you. Right. So my, all of the editors I worked with knew me for like SEO content and commerce content. And you know what? That's what I've been doing. And honestly, that's all I really have the brain capacity for at this point. I'm like, okay. It's kind of like I, once again, like I know that I know that I'm, I'm not feeling my best about it. I'm not feeling confident about it. I'm not feeling like myself or that my values are really at the the forefront, but it's like, like, but it, and it sucks, but it's like, this is what I have to do. Yeah. And also like, I love this story so much because it's like, we romanticize so much. And like, I think that even on this podcast, it can fall sometimes under the line of like, okay, you like took the leap and then it all, you were in alignment. And it's like, no, like the gray part is the part that I think we need to talk more about because it's like, you, you know where you're heading, Mm -hmm. but there's a bridge period that we all have to accept. And it's like, I mean, unless you have a ton of savings, Mm -hmm. unless you have a very specific circumstance, it does take multiple bridges probably to get you to a place. And I think that that's the whole journey and the point and making peace with that. So I'm actually curious in this bridge point that you're at right now, how do you feel like physiologically in comparison to how you felt when you actually didn't have an expiration date, like when you were still doing the thing without knowing that you were getting out? I feel so much more empowered because I'm able to choose what projects I take on. Maybe they're not the most exciting. Maybe they're not anything truly groundbreaking journalism wise, but it's also like, I can say no if I want to, if a project doesn't fit my values, which, you know, really feels like it's going against who I am. Like I can say no. And I can also like, I've started doing more brand consulting and and other kinds of freelance things, which have taken some writing off my plate and been like really fun. And it's also really nice to work with other teams and other editors. So it's, it's something new every day, which helps me get out of bed. And it's also like, I can create my own schedule. So if I know that I'm just not feeling it one day, I can just take a breather and rest if I need to. I can say yes to more events if I want to go, you know, grab coffee with someone like you or with like friends in the industry. I can work from libraries. I can, I I just have so much more flexibility and that keeps me feeling okay about the situation. Well, I literally cannot wait to hear how school goes. And like, please, I need a follow-up episode once you're working at a library so you can tell us what it's all about. I want to shift gears into just the space as a whole, because, yeah. you know, uh, this whole podcast is happening because Sarah posted something that literally spoke to the inner part of my soul, which was that she was so burnt out from Prime Day. 
And it's something that as a publicist, I experience also because I feel like I'm sometimes just like now pitching and now, now I've become like a negotiator. Mm-hmm. And before I get into like what that even means, can you kind of just paint a picture to someone who may not know, like what is this new world of journalism or like affiliate SEO type work that exists right now when you're seeing like a self or when you're seeing a Vogue, a Harper's, InStyle, whatever, like those roundups, like what is happening so that like someone who doesn't know about affiliate understands? Yeah. So when you're looking at a, if you click on, say you Google best vitamin C serum, you're going to get a whole lot of results. And a lot of them are going to be from publications, you know, former glossy magazines, like brands, like brands and publications that, you know, and every product on that roundup, whether there are dermatologists who are also giving you expertise, whether it's written by an esthetician or something like that, all of those products were chosen strategically, whether they were chosen because they're efficacious, possible, but also a lot of these products have a price that they pay the publication. So, or a percentage or a percentage. Yeah. So if someone places say a couple products from Sephora on, you know, in an article, Sephora is going to pay that publication a certain percentage of the commission. So if somebody ends up buying a vitamin C serum from a Sephora link that you posted in that story, Sephora is going to get a chunk of that money and so is the publication. So you are, it it feels like, it sounds like it's an advertisement. It's a little bit more nuanced than that because a lot of times these products, which do have an affiliate commission rate, they are chosen because they are efficacious. You know, a lot of times, you know, a dermatologist will give you a product that you can buy at Sephora. So, but but other times it is more insidious and it is, you know, And the the issue here and like why at least like I find myself just so like over this whole space as a whole is that like it shouldn't like the whole point, the whole point of even like going to a magazine or going to any sort of publication that has credibility or so we think is because they've done the work to Mm -hmm. tell us what's what, tell us what's worth our money, Mm -hmm. tell us like what, what we should be paying attention to. And yes, like even with like the old school way of doing it, where you would test and it was really like based more on integrity. Yes. We can definitely explore the fact that like the brands that are being covered are also represented by people. So like the brand, the brands have money to be able to pay PR teams to get in front of them. So like, that's already a layer that has already Mm -hmm. been a thing within the industry, but then add a layer to that, that it's like the brands not only have to have the money to pay for a PR team that has a relationships with the publications. They also need to have margin to give off of the commissions that are going through those links. And so my whole thing with this is that like, where does it go? Like, who can we trust? Because like you said, publications are now incentivized to place products that are going to make them the most money. Mm -hmm. And now PR teams are like these, like we're now selling what it is that we're trying to get across and also negotiating. Like we're like business negotiators plus like storytellers. And it's like, where are we going? Yeah, it's, it's really hard. And it, and it's hard. It was really hard for me as a journalist because I would get to try all of these cool products and put them in articles and then they would end up getting taken out. Or I would present a list of products that I want to include in an article and anything that didn't, wasn't on an affiliate network, didn't offer any commission would get taken out. And this wasn't always the case. When I started and, and commerce wasn't as huge of a thing, we were able to include more small businesses, more of these like indie brands and then that changed once once publications and and media companies started losing more and more money, mm-hmm. and and so now it it really is. I, I feel like we we talked about this before, but I feel like we're we're at like a at a tipping point almost, and and it is really hard now as someone who I really sometimes I'm like wow ignorance is is truly bliss because I was like out here reading all these magazines when I was a kid, but also even when they were glossies, like brands paid people to put products on the pages. And so, yeah, like now it's just like, who do you trust? And and that's 
really hard question. Yeah. Right. And it's like, what's the criteria? Yeah. And I think that when we were having our coffee conversation before the yeah. recording, we were saying that there are some publications that like, because mm-hmm. it's like, we both understand it. Like from a business standpoint, I totally get it. Like these places need to keep the lights on. Like mm-hmm. they have to make money. So it's like, how can everyone win in a situation where like small indie brands can still have a shot? The publication can still make money. And the end, ultimately, like the whole point of why these things even exist is for the the world, for consumers to have a place to trust. Mm-hmm. So how, like, how does this whole thing work? Because I really, I really do understand that the publication needs to make money. And I right. think that like, in its like most clear form, I guess, like it, it does make sense. Like, it's like, if they really were in integrity, like if really like the six products in that roundup were really, really vetted and were really great. And every single one of those products had affiliate, even the indie brand and how to the market, like that would make sense. Yeah. Right. But like not all brands know that not all brands like are like communicating that. So (sighs) I have like generally what I look for. One thing that's, that's great about having a history as like a shopping writer is that I can sort through bullshit so easily and that I feel, I feel like a very smart, very empowered consumer now that like, you know, when I go out and actually need to purchase something myself. And so if you are sure that you want to look at these roundups for ideas, for help, because at their core, these, these articles still, they, they do still exist to help you. So what you want to look for is some kind of expert mentioned, preferably several experts mentioned. So if you're looking at a, a roundup for shoes, walking shoes. You want to see a podiatrist. You want to see two podiatrists. You want to see someone who specializes in plantar fasciitis. You know, when you're looking for those vitamin C serums, you want dermatologists like several, you want people who, you know, dermatologists who come from different backgrounds. You want them with different skin types, skin tones, because you want to make sure that these products come recommended by people who have the certifications, Mm -hmm. like who have the chops and, So, you know, you'll see throughout these roundups, like some of the products come specifically recommended with quotes from experts. Like, I love this product because it does this, 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 this. If I would generally say those are more options that you can trust than ones that just have like a caption written by a writer like me who does not have that expertise other than what we've learned over the course of our reporting, which is not to say that I'm... I'm uneducated. I'm I'm dumb by any means because as reporters, we do so much research. Honestly, probably less now than we used to because we don't have time to do research. Quotas are really huge. What like what's an example? Like what would be like a quota for a week? Back when I was full time, I was writing between four and six stories a week, and each were around three to five thousand words. So my roommate writes three stories a day that are much shorter, but it's still daily. Commerce? No. And I mean, it's beauty. So generally, yeah, kind of commerce-y, but yeah. That's like one writer writing three stories a day. Mm -hmm. So it's like how, like, and and still having to speak with dermatologists and, and estheticians and having studies to back everything up. Like now media companies don't really hire fact checkers as much unless they're like the legacy brands like the New Yorker, New York Times. Yeah. Those kinds of places still have their fact checkers, but most publications don't have the budget for a fact checker anymore. So the writer now takes on that role and either has to provide backup and fact checking themselves or they don't anymore. And you just like, honestly, there have been articles where I'm just saying things. I'm just saying things. And when I turn in that article, I'm like, wow, I feel awful about that because did I tell the truth? Yeah, I think so. But I didn't have time to to do all the backup and all the research. And I know that makes like, I'm really admitting to some heinous <laughs> crimes right now. And I like, <laughs> it's like, but it's like, you're the one speaking it. That's the thing is yeah. that like, everyone is doing it. Every yeah. single person's doing it. And like, sure, like conscious or moral compass is super varying, but it's just, that is the current state of yeah. what's happening. Like that is what, what it is. I'm curious you were mentioning that like you as a conscious consumer, like there's ways that you look at things. Yeah. Like what do you, like you said, that you look for like the specific experts, type of experts. Um, are there specific outlets or yes. writers that you're like, they have a moral compass? 
<laughs> I'm not going to give specific people because I don't want to not get some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is a good person. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Just like like someone listening that they're like, oh shit, like like where yeah. where do I go? So. If you look at an article, there's usually uh, in small print, I tell a size, like some of these products may earn us an affiliate commission. If you click on them, just letting you know, that's like a legal thing. But if you go to, I, I highly recommend like a wire cutter. You know, it's the New York Times product base. That's what my friend Emma Moon um, answered when I was like, what, who, what do you guys trust? Mm -hmm. It's wire cutter. Yeah. And like any kind of publication that does like in-house testing. So New York Times, like, when they test mattresses, they have like a sleep center and they have people come and like do sleep tests and stuff. I know because I applied for a job there and they were like telling me about it in the interview. They never answered back <laughs> after that. I'm still waiting. New York uh, Times, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but so they do a lot of in-house testing. They also have very rigorous standards. So you'll, in a wire cutter article, you're, you'll see the list of the final products that made it. And if you scroll down, they'll go through all of their standards and how they tested it and what they were looking for. And they'll also usually give you a footnote of experts, maybe not explicitly mentioned in the story, but that were used as part of like- Advisory. Advisory, like coming up with criteria. Yeah. And so, and also I found, at least when I was at Self, like when you look at like awards, so beauty awards, uh, sneaker awards, like a lot of those have come with a big background of criteria that comes from experts. So the self beauty awards and probably most beauty awards allures as well. Like, yes, they do still no, focus the, on Yeah, they affiliate. really do. I will say they focus on affiliate, but they, act, oh, I was going to say that they actually do yes. like big several testing. rounds of testing. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at something like that, that that's like labeled as an award, you can look and see how they tested it because usually they'll tell you yeah. how they tested the products and they have is like, you know, a lot of outside testers who are just normal people yeah. who are trying this on their skin, who are trying this on their body or whatever, running in sneakers, walking in sneakers. And, and so that's the stuff that's great as well. I know there are some of the publications from Hurston dot dash, like good housekeeping has the DHI, which is a good housekeeping Institute mm. where they still do all of that product testing. So when you see like a seal on a washer and dryer from Walmart or whatever, know that like it was tested in a lab. Like it's, it's crazy. If you go up into the GHI, you can see just like, it's almost set up like a house and people are testing vacuums, people are testing cleaning products. And, and so, and that comes from a team apart from the commerce team. So that's usually not impacted by affiliate. It's actually based on so what are we looking for here? Exactly. Like we're looking for like somewhere in that article to say this is how it was tested. I know there are some publications who just do that for for all of their like good housekeeping. Yeah, good housekeeping. I know Birdie, a lot of their beauty yeah. stuff is tested in labs as well. Yeah, I don't know many more specifics, but so like if you're going to look at beauty, Birdie is a good place to start. Good housekeeping for home. Uh, stuff. Wire cutter is excellent for tech. Wired is also good. Mm. And that's a Condé Nast's like tech publication. They have a really rigorous testing process as well. Um, and those awards. So there are more and more publications coming out with awards. So be wary, mm -hmm. be cautious, but still like know that a lot of those have more testing behind them than say a writer writing an SEO piece about retinol for sensitive skin. Yeah. Because chances are we haven't tried any of them and we talked to one dermatologist and we wrote it in five hours. It's so scary. It's like really the wild west. I'm really curious. Do you have any idea how Wirecutter makes money? Cause it's like, what if they're just like the example, you know, like, I mean, they do still have affiliate, like affiliate is still a thing for them, but it's also based on testing. I don't. So maybe it's just that, like, and not that we're going to like solve this whole freaking industry problem, but it's like, maybe it's just people being more overt. Cause I think that like the population understands that like these people need to make money. Like mm -hmm. people need to have like the lights on, but it's like being overt about it and having an actual like criteria at play. And then 
like just like being clear about yeah. what that is. Yeah. Which would, I guess like as a byproduct of that would probably like slow down production. Like yeah. it'll slow down the volume, mm -hmm. which is probably what we all need anyway. Mm -hmm. So the only reason that quotas are so high is because that is what search engines are asking of us. Because we are not, at this point, we're not writing for people anymore. We're writing for Google. We're writing for AI to recognize that we're putting out enough content that makes us quote unquote credible. And, you know, the, a lot of these SEO stories will have regular updates every three months. You know, you'll have to update an article that you updated three months ago. Nothing has changed, but you still have to change it. How much do you have to change it? 30%. And so that involves, you know, adding more copy, a lot of which can be fluff, stuffing in those keywords in a way that feels remotely human and adding new products. And so this is also part of um, a commerce writer or an SEO writer's job is to update these older stories so that Google recognizes that you've changed them and that they're once again credible and not out of date. Um, so, that, so that when like the consumer is Googling like best retinol, yours your still comes up as number one. Right. Yeah. And it's all just a rat race to get on the first page of Google because honestly, who's, who's clicking after the second or third page? Yeah. Not many people. So you're obviously like you are exiting stage left. Like you have left the building. You're just, you know, going to live your fabulous librarian life. I cannot wait to hear about it. What would you love to see in the space that you would be like, okay, this feels good. I'm happy for them. Less. I think, yeah, a slowdown in production would make everybody's lives better because then journalists are focusing on writing again. They're focusing on really backing up every single claim with a study, with an expert, with, you know, research rather than being like, oh my gosh, this deadline is the end of the day. I got to get it in. Um, it's not its best, but whatever. And like, I think when I was at Self, we did this a lot for, for our bigger stories, but adding in a section in the story, like this is how we chose the products. And more than just a sentence, if, you know, some stories will say, we looked at reviews. I've written so many stories where I just like looked at reviews and that's not ideal. So you, when you look at that kind of section, I would love for it to say, we consulted with these experts who have no conflicts because you'll find some dermatologists who are repped by skincare brands mm -hmm. and then you got to sort through that. <laughs> um, so that would be huge. Just being more upfront about this is exactly how we do things here. Yeah. Agree. Like overt, like tell us what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And explicitly having a writer mention when they got something for free, which is not easy. You know, I've had moments where I'm like, I really don't want to admit to people that like, I want them to buy this $2,000 mattress that I would never pay for and just was gifted. I really like it, but I wouldn't yeah. Pay for it. I try to do that on Active Ingredient not to be like, oh, wow, I'm doing it right. Like, mm -hmm. I, I literally will say, like, I paid for this with my own, like, money. Mm -hmm. Like, or if I didn't, I would say, like, I, I paid for it after, you know? Yeah. Like, and I, I don't know if this is, like, on the publicist side of, like, how we can, like all kind of just make sure that like that first layer and that you're like being discerning on the clients that you're also representing. Mm -hmm. But for me and part of the process at Nude Nation, at least, is like a lot of people are like, let me send you product for you to try. And it's like, I actually have to buy it to see how the end consumer is going to use it to see if it's something that I even want to pitch. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think if all of us can just like take it one step yeah. further, I would love to see that personally. Yeah. Also to see more, this requires publications having money, but like to see, you know, some of them have big testing budgets where yeah. I know at self specifically, I'm speaking a lot about them because I have like yeah. a lot of full-time experience with them for mattress testing and stuff. If we wanted to write a mattress review, we would take out that we would pay for it with the magazine's budget. So that way, you know, we're not getting it from a publicist and we don't feel bad Yeah, if we're going to write a negative review right. or a review that's more critical. And that's both helpful for us in our guilty consciences, but also, <laughs> you know, to make things more trustworthy Yeah, because you're like, 
thinking about the psychology of it all. If somebody gives something, gives you a gift yeah. for free, you're far less likely to, to write something bad about it mm-hmm. on the internet than if you purchase it with your own money and it's bad. Totally. So, you know, that's why you see people writing negative reviews all the time because they're like, I got this thing and it doesn't yeah. do what it's supposed to do. But then when somebody- But it's like, the, it's just like, what's the shift? Because it's like, I think of even how we do what we do, it's like, if I told an editor, hey, like this is the product that we're representing, you need to buy it. No. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. No. <laughs> it just doesn't work. It literally doesn't work that way. No. Like my clients have an allotment for press because they yeah. have to, you yeah. know? And I think- And they also have to give margin now. So it's like, all of these things are like the current state. And I don't know which one of the players is the one to like crack it yeah. or like be the first to kind of go. I think I can speak from the PR side that I think any PR person or anyone who's marketing a product, like I, I think that that's such a good point. Like, have you purchased it yourself? Like, would you purchase it yourself? Is it part of the budget for you to like do that constantly and consistently, especially if it's something that's like subscription? Like how long have you subscribed to this thing for? Yeah, Is it worth you spending all of this effort to pitch this thing. Right. And that's when, that's when stories are great. Yeah. When when somebody writes about something that they bought with their own money. Yeah. And they're just so excited about it. You can feel it. It's, I I mean, I say this on the show all the time. Everything's energy. Yeah. And so like, wherever it is that you're on this spectrum, if you're listening, like if you're on the PR side, if you're the brand founder, if you're an editor, if you're a writer, if you're a freelancer, wherever you are, like, where can you be the discerning factor in this? I guess like with everything in life, like we can't change the entire system, but you Mm -hmm. can change how you're doing it. You're exiting stage left and I could buy the products that I'm going to be pitching myself, you know? Right. And it's, and it's also just like doing everything with intention and, and being as honest as you can is just like, and just like spreading knowledge, like talking about it, being transparent. Like when I posted that story about Amazon prime day and the fact that, you know, God, I, this could be a whole other podcast about Amazon. <laughs> and we're not going to get into it, but guys, Amazon, like look at all the roundups and you're going to see that they're all Amazon links. It's because Amazon is giving all publications, the percentage the commission on their basket order, not just the link. Like if you click something from that link, I just have to say this like blanket yeah. statement. If you're, if you see a roundup and you see that the link is Amazon, you click the Amazon link and like, let's say that you put the lipstick into your cart and then you do all of your Amazon purchasing for the day. And now your cart is $700. Amazon is giving that publication. 20% or whatever the commission split is. So much money. A basket order to the publication. So obviously publications are incentivized to put Amazon products on their roundups because they're making way more money. And for Prime Day, they gave a certain media conglomerate a big chunk of cash to write a certain amount of articles about Prime Day. In addition I, to... In addition to basket the basket commission. order commission. So... So Amazon again, here we are. Like beast. Massive beast. And so at that, it, like it kind of, it, it can make you feel helpless. It can make you feel hopeless to be like, And okay. it's not to say, like, and I said this after you, by the way, after you posted, I was like, this is not to hate on Amazon. Like they're beasts and they clearly know what the fuck they're doing. You know oh, what I'll I mean? And I use, you hate Amazon. <laughs> I buy shit from Amazon all the time. Oh, same. I use it all the time. You know, like I really do. And it's like, to say that I don't is a lie. Right. <laughs> like I yeah. do. Yeah, the, you know, they multiple make things easier. Multiple things can exist at once. Exactly. Like, but just like having knowledge about the decisions that you're making, making those empowered decisions, I think is is just the key. And just being aware of what you're clicking on and becoming like a, a smart consumer. Honestly, like I do a lot of my shopping now, brick and mortar. Me too. I like to feel things. I love to feel things. And I also like, of course, that still relies on marketing and I get a lot of inspiration, honestly, billboards, advertising in subways, like that old school stuff. Like it's, it still works. It still gets you like, that is the point of advertising marketing. And honestly, the point of shopping journalism is to get you to buy things. And so if your MO is to unsubscribe from that, do that. But if you want to be a more conscious consumer, it's just reading things and and seeing if they really check out like did a dermatologist recommend this did a, a like a doctor recommend this or talk about this and and can i feel what what i'm reading can i feel an emotion behind it I just got a true like 
care for this, this thing that made somebody's life infinitely better. Like those are what you want to look for. And a lot of them, everything, man, like a physiological response is the truth. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's just the truth. Mm -hmm. And it takes time and it's like imperfect. But I think that as journalists, like it is our duty to be better. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to write some freelance stuff and I'm going to be better. That's what I'm going to do. I love it. (laughs) Okay. We're a little over time. So I just want to close out with this one question because I do have a lot of either founders, aspiring founders, Mm -hmm. people who have something that they want to get out in the world. And we have someone who's receiving these pitches all the time. So what is something that you would tell someone on how to, in integrity, like get their product or whatever it is that they genuinely feel like is helping the world move forward in front of someone like you that can potentially cover it and amplify it? I think personal connection is huge. Uh, I, I respond to a lot of pitches from somebody I know or from somebody who is very like friendly and conversational and in a way that's also not like creepy. Like I saw your Instagram story. <laughs> I was also at this place yesterday. Like sometimes that borderline is a little bit creepy. I know that you all mean well, but yeah, I think finding that personal connection. And also if you think that your product makes the world better, tell me how. Tell me a story. How long should the story be? Mm-hmm. Concise. But if I'm like grabbed in the first, in the in the subject line, a lot of things that grab me are, are products that I'm familiar with, brands yeah. that I trust and I'm familiar with. But if I'm going to go out on a limb and, and open a pitch that is unfamiliar, I want a, a subject line that kind of tells me what I'm about to get myself into. Yeah. And then, you know, in the first couple sentences, instead of going on about Alex Earl or or some kind of TikTok person, I do not have TikTok. I don't know what any of you are saying. Please touch grass. <laughs> um like that's the headline <laughs> of this of this episode. Please touch grass. <laughs> Please. But yeah, so just like telling me like this will make your day easier. This will make some person's day easier. How do you have statistics to back it up? Do you have studies? Like I'm a nerd about that kind of stuff. And I think other people are, are too, like a lot of reporters, like they want to see that a product like has gone through a lot of research and, Mm. and and like uh, many rounds of testing and also helps if, you know, a doctor uses it or something like that. But yeah, conversational, friendly, Doing your research, mm-hmm. like it's really huge. doing your research. Yeah. We were saying before we started recording that like we both, because for active ingredient, I get pitches too. We both get things and it's like, you clearly have either never listened, have yeah. never read, like, yeah. and that's an immediate delete. Yeah. So and I know, it's not like, worth your time. Y'all have, have quotas too and, yeah. and have, you know, a certain amount of, of pitches that you need to do. And, and so it, it's, it's hard because it feels like increasing demand on both sides. Like we have to write more stories. You have to send out more pitches. And it's like, can we slow down for a minute and put more thought, more, more research into this? Less is more. And I mean, I see it on the client side too. Like the thing, like the clients that are doing the best, it's not volume. It's just mm-hmm. like, what is it that you're on? That is the audience aligned to you? Because you're going to go way further on that mm-hmm. than just being in random ass, like yahoo.com fucking roundup of 500 links. Like right. it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was such a joy. Yes. Yeah, I fun. have to ask you this question because I ask every single guest and it okay. seems like you do work the work, you know? <laughs> what is something that you have actively unlearned or that you're in the practice of actively unlearning that you're starting to learn or have learned in a resourceful way? I think for a while I was beating myself up for choosing to stay in a place that was not no longer serving me. But I was doing that for survival. And so I'm unlearning that kind of bullying mentality of myself and, and, and understanding that sometimes we have to stay in the suck for a little bit, even when it goes against what we know is good for us, what we know our values are, if it is truly what you need to do to survive. And in this case, it, it was like, I had no other thing to do, but to stay in this role that was not serving me. Of course, there are implications and and, and experiences and situations where that should not be something that you think about, like if relationships, things like that. But in this case, unlearning that I can just like, like, it's okay that I had to do this. It's okay that I woke up and and hated my job for a little while. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's a process. I love that. 
that's so relatable. And I, I mean, it speaks to my soul. So thank you for coming on. And thank you for posting that on your stories. We would not be having this conversation if you didn't. Truly. Just like let it rip on there. Thank you for reaching out. <laughs> yeah, this was great. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for getting to the end of the episode. And more importantly, thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself. As always, take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't. I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.